Colossians 3 and verse 20 is where we'll be landing here in just a moment. This is in the context of Paul's, maybe how you call household codes, or what does the gospel look like in the most intimate or ex, uh, exclusive or inclusive, you could even say, relationships that we have. How does Christ make a difference in our lives? And so he has given us the word to wives back in verse 18, the word to husbands in verse 19. Here we're going to look at the word to children, and then next time uh, the word to fathers specifically. It's a very negative word, that is to say it's a negative command, a prohibition for fathers. And then we'll look at that perhaps troublesome or troubling idea of slaves and masters at the end of chapter 3 and then into chapter 4. All these things, of course, reference the first century Roman uh, household system where you had husband, wife, children, but also you might call them employees, but they're really called slaves in the first century world. And how does that even come to be? And, and all we'll look at that as we as we get into it. Let me read verse 18 and, and following just to help us remember what Paul has been saying to us, what God through Paul has been saying. And we'll look at verse 20 specifically. He says, Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Each of these three relationships, wives to husbands, children to parents, and slaves to masters, begins with that class of people that are in the subservient or submissive role. Now, of course, we know, and we studied as we looked at verse 18, all of us are to submit to one another. Ephesians 5.21 says, submitting one to one another in the fear of Christ. And so there are some aspects in which we all submit to one another. There's a specific aspect in which wives submit themselves in relation to their husbands. It is an inner mindset. It's an inner attitude that they have that then is presented to their husbands in a way that, that honors them, uh, respects them, as Ephesians 5 and verse 33 would say. But... Uh, it is fitting in the Lord. It's what is appropriate or what is right before the Lord. Husbands lead. They are the caretakers for the wife, but for the wives, but also for the children. And yet they are not allowed to become a tyrannical uh, dictator, despot kind of a person. No. Yes, husbands are in a sense over or the head of their wives. And yet doesn't mean you can be rude and harsh and mean. Love your wives tenderly, respectfully, graciously. Don't be embittered. Don't be uh, rude to them. Don't be uh, severe with them. Submit your own authority, your own sense of what is right to love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her. There is this submission, yes, but it's a mutual submission. It expresses itself in different ways, and yet there is that check in balance, if you will, that, okay, wives are to submit to everything and all things. Good grief. Husbands love your wives. And all, but she didn't respect me. She didn't obey me. Well, wait a minute. He's leading me in a wrong direction. Guess what he's going to tell children? Children, obey your parents in all things. Wait a minute. God, do you know the, the parents you gave me? Wait a minute, Ooh, that kind of sounds like Adam when he said, this woman you gave me, she gave to me and I ate. God knows the parents that he has given to us. God knows the children he has given to us. God is in the details. And so when he gives this command, obey your parents in all things, 
what is he asking us to do? To obey our parents in all things, for this is pleasing to the Lord. He addresses this word to children. We've looked at the other relationships, uh, wives, husbands, but now children, because they're in that household, they're in that family setting, and they have a responsibility too. What is interesting is this word can refer to a a child or an offspring, a descendant of any age, and even of any relationship. That is to say, not just a direct descendant, a son or daughter, but also a grandson, granddaughter, or great, you know, great, great, great kind of uh, situations. Of course, this word children can also be used figuratively to talk about what is interesting. John 21, when Jesus comes and talks to his apostles in, uh, in, in John 21, and of course, they've fished all night, and no fish, and he says, children... And I imagine their hackles got up and said, who's this guy talking to us like you were children? Well, it's the Lord, John said. But Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? It wasn't a put down in the same way that when Jesus called his, his mother woman back in John 2, woman, it's not yet my time. It wasn't a derogatory thing. It was an honorary title of respect and, and dignity. It was a term of endearment even. I mean, who, who can... Who can uh, uh, speak negatively of what the Lord says uh, to his to his mama even? But here Jesus refers to children in a and not a rude kind of a sense or hey babes or or little people or you you foolish people which Jesus has said other times. But he talks about these children, these who have an endearing or a special relationship with the one who's speaking. Paul uses this term a lot when he talks about Timothy or Titus or other uh, close workers that he has, that he calls them my child, my son in the faith, my beloved child or genuine child he talks about. But here, the context is not so much that figurative thing. It's actually biological relationships, these people who are brought in, and of course, not just those who are biological uh, offspring of people, but those who are legal uh, uh, not wards necessarily, but legal uh, parts of your family being adopted in. There is that relationship. Adoption is not just a new phenomenon. You read, read a lot about it in that first century world. The Roman world adopted a lot of people. And yet we see this special relationship then of children and parents, children who have a responsibility before the Lord with uh, respect to their obedience to to their parents. What is interesting, again, this, this term can refer to individuals of any age, any sex, that is to say male or female. It can be referring to uh, young children. It can refer to older children. Uh, we can refer to uh, or, or include ourselves in this regard. If we are children of parents, well, that means we should listen to this. A lot of times, and this is what I mentioned earlier, a lot of times we look for those exceptions or those footnotes or those exclusion statements. You know, this doesn't apply to me because of X, Y, and Z. This is a word to them or a word to them, and so I'm free. My children need to listen to this. Okay, if you're a child of somebody, you should listen to this. If you're a child, if you're even your parents are gone and dead, how can we obey God's word to us in this regard? Is it specifically for young children in the home? Yes, well, I'll grant that. And yet, don't think that that means you can check out if you're a parent, you're an adult type, and now can rejoice in the fact, my children, are you listening? You know, elbow them, get your elbows sharpened out so your children will listen. This is a word to us. Also, though, I should say, if this includes and even emphasizes to children who are in the home, because that's, he's talking about household relationships, those who are younger children assumes the fact that these children are present in the reading of this letter, which would to say they're in the church meeting. 
the children are there in the church meeting, which reminds us that, I mean, there's a reason. I mean, it's not, it's not easy a lot of times. It's difficult to have our younger children, our, our, our babes in arms, even with us in a church meeting. And yet this is what God wants for our fellowship. He wants children to be in the assembly with their parents and to see their parents worship and listen and, and sing and interact with other people and, and interact with uh, multiple ages and situations of life. This is the church. It's not just, not just for adults. And our children, by the way, are not just the next generation of the church. They're the present generation. They are in this church. You're, now, there's other aspects going on there, but the point is, Children have a relationship, they have a responsibility before the Lord. Are they in Christ? Are they not believing in Christ? Well, the goal is, the plan is, the purpose that we have together is that our children would believe in Christ, would walk faithfully before Him, and this is part of the part of the the solution or part of the way that God intends that to happen. Children, listen to this: obey your parents in all things. This word "obey" is really at heart the word to hear or to listen. It's compounded a little bit to give us that idea of to listen under, to, to put yourself under the authority of somebody else. But it has the basic idea of listening to somebody, be uh, giving attention to people. Uh, we used to teach a, a little children's class uh, in a, a previous church, and we defined listening as paying attention with your eyes, your ears, and your heart. You know, you need eyes on me, ears on me, and, and give me your heart. Listen, give me attention. Uh, not because I'm wonderful, but I'm speaking to you. And so you need to listen with your eyes, your ears, and your heart. Pay attention in that regard. Obeying has to do with that. Just as submitting and loving, submitting, being subject to your husbands and uh, husbands loving your wives, listening or being obedient is an inner attitude. It's an inner mindset. It has obviously external implications, what it proves in our behavior, but it starts on the inside. Uh, as the saying goes about a young girl who was was told to sit down by her mother for the 14th time, and she says, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. Well, that's not obedience. I mean, that may be conformity to the wishes of the parent, but that's not obedience. That is not honoring the intention, the desire of your parents. And so it's not just fulfilling the command. It goes even deeper than that. Now, of course, Jesus gave that example of a man who had two sons, and he told him, told the sons individually, go and work in the field. The one said, I'll do it, and he didn't do it. The other one said, I won't do it, and then it repented and changed his mind and then went out to do it. So which one did the will of his father? Well, the one who did the actual work, did he, he, he externally he did the work, but he also, having first defied or rebelled against that command, he repented of that. He changed his mind, and he did, went out and did the thing. My point is there, it's not enough to say you're going to do something or to have an intention of, something to do, of, of doing something. Do it. Fulfill that word. Do what you said you, what you, what you, said you were going to do. To listen or to, to, be, to obey means that we pay attention to those who are speaking. We respectfully cooperate with them. We listen to what they're saying, what they're teaching. It is interesting how at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 18, in that context of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, God says in Genesis 18 verse 19, I have known him, he's talking about Abraham, uh, so that he may command his children and his household after him that they may keep the word of Yahweh to do righteousness and justice so that Yahweh may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. All the promises that God made to Abraham and was going to fulfill through Abraham by means of his children. And so we see the context there that children are to obey because this is how God intends 
the next generation to be in a relationship with him, to walk in the way of the Lord and righteousness and justice. Sometime many years later, Joshua said, and this is a famous thing, many of us have a, a sign on our, on our uh, walls or whatever, as for me and my house, we will serve Yahweh, we will serve the Lord. Well, that's a commitment to the Father, and yet he instructs his children to walk in the ways of the Lord, to listen to him, to listen to God, that is. And even like Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, that it's even as if God is making his appeal through us. Now, these are the preachers of the gospel, but through parents. God is appealing to children through their parents. Believe in Christ. Walk in him. Humble yourself before him. Why should you be angry with God? Why should you live in defiance against God's good commands? Listen to him. That is the way of life. That is not listening to him is the way of death. So much of Proverbs was written as a father to a son, which is so ironic because a lot of Proverbs were written by Solomon. Did Solomon listen to much of the things that he spoke about? Hmm. I mean, he, he gave wisdom from God, and yet so many of the things he spoke about were not characteristic of his life. He said here in Proverbs 1 and verses 8 and 9, We're here, my son. Gives us back to that obedience or the listening. Hear, my son, your father's discipline, and do not abandon your mother's instruction, for they are a garland of grace on your head and ornaments about your neck. That really helps us realize, wow, God's word is good. It's valuable. It is refreshing. It is beautiful. Garland of grace on your head and ornaments about your neck. When you listen to your father's discipline, hear the instruction of your mother. Don't abandon these things. Walk in these things. A little bit later in Proverbs 6, he says, My son, observe the commandment of your father. Do not abandon the law of your mother. Bind them continually in your heart. Tie them around your neck. There is that attention, not just a, uh, I was here, and, you know, but I'm going to go off and do my own thing kind of thing. No, it is a, bind these things. Remind yourself of these things. Dwell on these things. Meditate upon the words that your parents are speaking to you. The same word, obey, is used in relation to Sarah obeyed her husband, calling him Lord. I bring that out because uh, we would tend to make a sharp distinction between that word in uh, Colossians 3.18, wives be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. But we also see submission and obedience are very much more related than we might care to admit. That, And again, it's not a, a reason, okay, now the, the fathers, the husbands can be um, the rulers and the despots. No, it, the, the point is that there is an order in the household. There is an order in God's creation. God created male and female. The, the male is the head of the wife, even the head of the children, the the, uh, the caretaker, the shepherd, the all those things we, we sang about, actually, prophet, priest, and king are the roles, not necessarily the actual position but the roles that a husband plays in the home. Whether there are children or not, if there's a wife, the, the husband is responsible in those different ways. Children submit and obey in the same way, or well, not in the same way, but in a, in a similar way to as uh, wives to their husbands. Much is spoken about obedient children. Much is said regarding those who are... Mm, not obedient, rebellious children, but first these obedient children, even First uh, Peter chapter 1 mentions as obedient children, which when I mean, you talk about children, they should be obedient. As disobedient children, no, we want obedient children. That is the characteristic of a child is to submit himself to the Lord. Uh, my father-in-law used to have a saying that, that parents help their children realize that God is big and you're small and God is over and you're under. 
So God is big and you're, you're small and God is over and you're under. There's a submission that we make to God. And that gets all out of whack when we are rebellious and, and contentious and uh, defiant to the Lord. It starts by listening to the parents who are responsible to, as Ephesians five or 6 verse 4 says, to train up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That is the responsibility of fathers. The responsibility of kids is listen, listen. Pay attention. There are a few different aspects or, or even mindsets or, or actions about obedience. First is listening. I mean, that's right inherent in that word, uh, to, to be obey or to, to be obedient or to listen under. One interesting example is back in Genesis again, Genesis chapter 27 and into 28. This is the, the drama between Esau and his son, or excuse me, Isaac and his sons Esau and Jacob and the, the granting of the blessing and so forth and all the conniving that was going on. I mean, there was a lot of uh, dysfunction, shall we say, in, in that household uh, of tr trixiness and, and uh, not so good stuff. And yet Rebecca, the mom, Isaac's wife, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, my son, uh, listen to my voice as I command you. Listen and then do what I tell you to do. That same idea of listen to me and do what I say is repeated three times in Genesis 27, uh, verse 8, verse 13, verse 43. And he even repeats it in chapter 28 and verse 7 when Esau says I saw that Jacob listened to his father and his mother and had gone to Padan Aram he's gone off to find a wife from his, his kinfolk and what did Esau do? took another wife or two because he saw it displeased his father and said, I'm, whatever I'm just live my life I'm, I'm my own person was not so concerned about any kind of obedient or pleasing action before his parents Listening is a key aspect of, of obedience. Also emulation, following after the example. Obedient children follow the example of their parents, not to the, you know, the nth degree and so forth, but, but are they submitting to God? Are they praying people? Do they read their scriptures on a daily basis? Do they attend the church meeting? You know, those kinds of things, emulating. And sometimes we would say, you know, do as I say, children, not as I do. This kind of gets us kind of deep and personal as parents uh, because we know that we're not the best example all the times, and yet we're supposed to be. We're supposed to present ourselves as those worthy of emulation, imitation, Jesus said it this way in John chapter 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing from himself unless it's something he sees the Father doing. Wow. I mean, Jesus, don't you have an original thought in your head? Can't you do something for your own for a change? No. Unless it is something he sees the Father doing, I'm not going to do it. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in the same manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all the things that he himself is doing, and the Father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. That idea of emulation or imitation, following after what God the Father has shown to us, even through our parents. Listening, emulating. How about submitting? Submitting. Children submit to their parents. Uh, Proverbs 3.11 says, My son, do not reject the discipline of Yahweh or loathe his reproof. For Yahweh, for whom Yahweh loves, he reproves, even as a father reproves the son in whom he delights. So there's a submission even to the harsh things, the hard things, the discipline, uh, the reproving from a father. Listen to these things because that is love. Yahweh loves or whom, whom Yahweh loves, he reproves. The converse is true also. God doesn't love you. He's not going to reprove you. Now he has. He loves all kind of people, but people rebel against him. But God brings reproof. 
through the prophets in the Old Testament period and through the apostles, through preachers nowadays, he's giving a reproof or warning, there's judgment coming, turn and come into my household, come into my protection. God delights in the one who listens to him, who submits himself to him. Uh, a similar idea is Hebrews 13, 17 in the context of a church, but it shows how obedience and submission are very tightly related. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account, so that they will do this with joy and not with groaning, for this would be unprofitable for you. Listening, emulating, submitting. How about one final aspect of obedience, and that is to honor to show esteem or to respect your parents. Uh, I mean, that is the heart of the passage. Is not so much here in Colossians, but the parallel passage over in Ephesians 5, Paul, or Ephesians 6, rather, quote, Paul quotes the, the Ten Commandments as it's recorded in Exodus 20, but also in Deuteron Deuteronomy chapter 5. Same idea, honor your father and your mother. Honor your father. doesn't talk about obey your father and mother. That's an extension of this thing. Or honoring is, is part, it is the heart attitude toward, toward the uh, parents that God has given to us. Honor your father and mother as Yahweh your God has commanded you so that your days may be prolonged and that it may go well with you on the land which Yahweh your God gives you. There is that responsibility of parents to train their children, but it's the responsibility of children to listen, to emulate, to submit, and to honor uh, their parents, and especially what they are teaching about God, so that their lives may, so that may go well with you, and uh, that God may prolong your days. The, this idea is repeated throughout, and even at the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, uh, God is asking, uh, you know, a son honors his father, and a slave honors his master, and then if I'm a father, Where's my honor? And if I'm a master, where's the fear of me? Says Yahweh of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. Whoa. Where's the honor for God? Yeah, even as father or master, you guys despise me. You hate what I'm saying to you. Hate the warnings I'm giving. Hating even the promises I give to you. Walk in my way, you'll have life. Not walk in my way, you'll have death and, and judgment and suffering. This idea of honoring our parents is repeated by the Lord Jesus on a few different occasions. He says, he asks the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father and mother is to be put to death. So, But you guys say, whoever says to his father and mother, whatever you might benefit from me is devoted or given to God. Wait a minute, what's, what's that about? I'm, I can't honor you, my parents, because I have devoted myself to God, and so I'm going to let you suffer and die and whatever. I, you're not my concern because I have devoted all my stuff to God, and so you don't need to honor his father. By this, Jesus says, you've invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Just canceled that. You said, oh, we have a, an ex exception for that. If I give everything to God, then I can, uh, I don't, I'm free to the responsibility to honor my parents. Jesus says, no, you are not. Even the, the question that the young uh, ruler came and asked Jesus, what must I, must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, uh, of course, he says, why are you asking me about what's good? There's only one who's good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Whether the commandments he listed, uh, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And love your neighbors yourself. Honoring father and mother is a key idea. It's repeated here in Ephesians 6, of course. And, of course, so many parts of the law, the Mosaic law, as well as in Proverbs. Cursed be the one who dishonors his father and or mother. 
there's a great uh, evil that goes on when children of any age dishonor their parents in this regard. Now, we'll get into some other, some, those exceptions that you all can get into in just a moment. But first, let's focus on what is the rule? What is the, the principle? The principle is obey, listen, submit, emulate, follow after, um, and honor your parents. It says, obey your parents. Y'all don't need to obey other parents. We have, you know, my children obey my wife and I. And your children, they can obey you. And it's not that we, in the same way that wives submit to your husbands, it's not a, a all women submit to all men kind of a thing. It's no, there's a, a context, a relationship that is, is central. One man, one woman, parents to their children, parents to their children, children to their parents uh, in relationship. That can be biological or legal uh, parents that we have this responsibility to do. Notice it says, again, obey your parents just in those things that they talk to you about. If they don't talk to you about this, you can do whatever you want. No, obey your parents in all things. Honor their intention, even if they haven't given you a specific rule about this relationship or this practice or this book or this whatever it is. Honor the intention. Honor the, not the letter of the law, but the spirit. What are your parents trying to help you to do? Honor your parents in all things. In all respects, you might consider it in everything, every aspect of life. At every point in our lives, we should be thinking, would this bring honor to my parents? Is this submissive to my parents? Is this in a way that emulates or follows after the example of my parents? Uh, one person said it this way, the rule is stated absolutely because the exceptions are so few that they may be disregarded. And we think, well, I have all kind of exceptions. I'm going to list before, before this. And this guy says, no, honor the rule. Yes, there are exceptions, but honor the rule. Let's, let's establish that first. And then we can move on to those things that might uh, require us even to disobey our parents and even dishonor them uh, in, in certain respects, in a certain relative sense we'll see in a moment. He says this, this idea of children obeying their parents, for this pleasing, this obedience is pleasing to the Lord. That is a great desire that we have. It's not just about, well, we want an orderly family. We want you know children to be seen and not heard kind of thing. This is pleasing to God. God is in the details in this regard. This is something that we are concerned with. Just as wives submit to your husbands or be subject to husbands, as is fitting in the Lord, as is what is appropriate and right, we want to, at all times, please the Lord. To do that which is uh, happy or he delights in. He's not ashamed to call us brothers. Jesus says he's not ashamed to do that, but sometimes he says, what are you doing over there? We want to live to please the Lord, please uh, and honor him to bring him a, a smile, as it were. Now, I know that we are accepted in the beloved. We have a, a righteousness that is not our own, and yet he wants that gift righteousness to work itself out in our daily lives in our words our actions our attitudes affections relationships the the uh, the plans that we have made for our lives god wants to be in all these things there are so many times that this concern about pleasing others is mentioned in scripture even in acts uh, chapter five or chapter six rather uh, the word that the apostles spoke about uh, pointing these seven, choose seven men that can take care of the, the tables and so forth. This word pleased the whole congregation. They said, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do that. There are other aspects of not pleasing men. Paul says in Galatians 1, am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a slave of Christ. So there's sometimes when pleasing men and pleasing God, they're at 
opposites. They're at odds. And so what do we choose? Well, unfortunately, a lot of our modern-day church people are choosing that. We're going to please men because that's where the money is. Wait a minute. That's not where you go. That's not what you're, you're all about. That's where the praise is. That's where the accolades, that's where the speaking gigs come from. You please men, you get all. No. If there's a conflict between pleasing God and pleasing men, you say, nice to see you all. I'm going on God's side. I'm going with him. It may mean I'm going to lay down my life for him. If that's what it, what it costs, is that a cost? Uh, uh, Paul said in Philippians 1, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I think one translation says that's better yet. To die, that's better yet. I'm going to live in Christ for as long as he gives me life, but I want to live in his presence. I want to be near him. And so is that uh, so great a cost to lay down our lives for Christ? No, it is not. We strive to please God. So many times in Scripture it talks about that responsibility or that work of pleasing God, pleasing him, um, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 4 says, We don't speak the gospel so as to please men, but God, who examines our heart. We are striving to please God, pleasing God the Father. Here specifically, I think when he's talking about the Lord, and all throughout this letter to the Colossians, the Lord is referring to Jesus Christ himself, the second person of the Trinity. That concern for pleasing the Lord Jesus is introduced back in Colossians 1 and verse 10, that we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and multiplying in the full knowledge of God. Our concern is, our, our concern ought to be, as children, which is all of us, to please the Lord Jesus Christ in all respects, bearing fruit and every good work and multiplying or increasing in the full knowledge of God. We want to please the Lord. He says, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, whether we are in the body, we're at home in the body, or we're absent from the body, which is to say whether we live or whether we die, we want to live in a way that pleases Christ. And even Ephesians 5 and verse 10 says we are trying to learn, trying to, to, to understand, trying to then work into practice, pleasing Christ, pleasing him, to be pleasing to the Lord. He says this is, this is pleasing in the Lord. He actually says pleasing to the Lord or pleasing to the Lord, pleasing in the Lord, pleasing to the Lord. This is, as we saw back in verse 18, as it's fitting in the Lord, this phrase really sets the context. It's not just wives submitting to your husbands because that's the way things work. No, it's, it's to the Lord that this is in reference to. God is in the details. In the same way, children obey our parents in the Lord. Jesus is present in all these things. Uh, this is describing the spirit of obedience. The attitude of the child's heart is to Please Christ by obeying parents. It doesn't establish the boundaries or the limits. Oh, well, my parents, are, they're telling me that I can't drive the car to, to whatever because that's not, that's, they're, they're commanding me something that Jesus would never tell me to do or that's not a spiritual thing or, or uh, that's not in the Bible so I don't have to obey it, right? No, you should probably obey what your parents say and especially if it's not your car and you don't have a driver's license and you're only 10, don't take the car out. Listen to your parents. This is in the sphere of, uh, of Christ with reverence to him, reference to him. We're all, everything of our life is with reference to Christ. We think, well, he, he's not in, in this over here. Yes, he is. He's with you. He's with you. We do this for the sake of him. We do this in the authority of God. Some final ideas here on this verse. Children obey our parents in all things, for this is pleasing to the Lord. Why do children disobey their parents? There are some good reasons why we as children should disobey our parents. 
and there's some pretty bad ones too, so I'll let you decide which one is which. Is there a time when children should not obey their parents? There is, and you can picture in your mind, a, a scale uh, given X, Y axis, and you'd have something, a line that is descending and a line that is ascending. And where they cross is kind of that, that murky area of, of a young person's life. And that is to say, the authority of parents and the influence of parents. When a child is a baby, the authority of the parents is profound. You're going to sleep, you're going to wear this, you're going to do this, you're going to sit here. Very authority is all over the place. Influence, reasonability, the uh, capacity of a parent to uh, shape the thoughts even of the child, not so much. Kids don't understand these things. But as children get older, the, the idea is that the authority of the, of the parent would come down. I don't need to dictate every aspect of your life because you're a responsible person. But hopefully the influence of the parent in the child's life, in the child's perspective, grows because that child values and appreciates the influence, the input of that parent. And so you see that that authority influence paradigm changes as the young person matures and becomes an adult. There's much discussion. What does it mean to be an adult in this modern world? Well, a lot of different things. In fact, I made a, a handy dandy little flyer for you all. I didn't come up with this other than putting in this form. This is a, uh, from an email, or not an email, an article. It used to be articles that people wrote. Uh, an article by Dr. Moeller back in uh, 2005, actually, and his title is, what, When Does a Boy Become a Man? And he has, I don't know, 12, 13, 14 different items on there, and it all has to do with maturity, spiritual maturity, personal responsibility, economic maturity, physical maturity, sexual maturity, moral maturity, and you can read it all there on the back table if you want to look. When does a person become, by the way, don't just get it if you're a boy or a parent of a boy, get it if you're a young lady looking for a godly husband. Does, okay, does he meet a lot of these requirements? Characteristics of a godly man? Maturity, becoming an adult, is kind of a, a nebulous thing, and yet you're able to make decisions for yourself, you're able to take care of yourself, you perhaps have moved out of your parents' home, you have some measure of independence. Never, you know, I'm my own person, I am, you know, all, no, we're always dependent on other people in certain ways, but can you live a life based on your own work, based on your own decision-making? Can you do these things? Are you... Uh, um, can you manage yourself? Can you master yourself in these in these ways? Are you becoming an adult? There's a time in terms of the change of affection, change of loyalty even, that happens in a young person's life, and that comes at marriage. When should a, a child not always obey their parents? Well, when there is a new person that you're loyal to, and now the desire is to please that person. And it goes both ways, husband to wife and wife to husband. First Corinthians 7 talks about uh, the fact of pleasing the Lord. You want to please the Lord, but, you know, when you're married, your conflict, your, your attention or your int intentions are divided. Husband wants to please his wife. The wants, wife wants to please her husband. And so what are you going to do? You're going to you have priorities in these regards. So marriage changes everything. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So marriage changes. doesn't mean, oh, okay, now the, the child can dishonor and, and uh, be rude to and just cut off the parents. That's not honoring. That's not sweet. That's not loving. That's not submissive to parents. But that, again, that authority influence paradigm really helps us understand how to 
how to navigate from from childhood, infancy, and and uh, and into adulthood, as Paul says in First Corinthians thirteen. Uh, when I was a child, I did this and that, but now I'm no longer a child. There are changes that happen in our lives, but the heart attitude is one of honoring and and revering and even fearing the parents. Well, one reason that children don't obey their parents or disobey their parents is parents aren't perfect. Do you realize that? Your parents weren't perfect. You, if you're a parent, you're not perfect. If you want to be a parent, you're not going to be a perfect parent. Ah, children can be disappointed. They'll be frustrated with these things, which we'll look at the next verse. Next time, verse 21, fathers don't exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. There is that responsibility of parents not to, to frustrate or, or provoke to anger, Ephesians uh, 6 says. We'll look at that another time. But children don't obey their parents because they're not perfect. They're telling me to do something, but that's not... I don't understand that. Sometimes you just go along with it. Parents have their own reasons. Could be they're, they're plotting a surprise for you and they don't want you to go to that room because it's off limits. They have a surprise. And, and you can assume that. Assume the best about your parents. Oh, it wasn't a surprise that time or the 10 times before they told me not to go in that room. But maybe this time. The point is, trust your parents. They're not perfect, but... Realize that they are the, the, the gift of God to you. They are a, an agent of God's sanctification for you to grow in respect to your salvation. You, you are an agent of salvation, or excuse me, sanctification for your parents even. And so realizing that uh, the, the obedience, disobedience thing gets complicated. Default, that is to say, uh, tend toward the obedience aspect in everything. In all things, uh, Paul says here, obey your parents. What about when my parents aren't believers and they're, they're prohibiting me from going to church or reading my Bible or listening to Christian music or, or, be, or being with my Christian friends? Or, uh, you know, what if my parents aren't believers? Jesus addressed that on multiple occasions. He says, I have not come to bring peace. In fact, my word is going to divide households, fathers and, and children. How does he list it here? This is Matthew 10 and verse 35. I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against his mother, her mother, excuse me, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. How sad is that? And yet that is so true, especially in the Middle Eastern uh, culture where, where family is maybe a little bit more valuable than, than we have it in the West. He has, has come to bring a sword. But he says, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. There is that separation then between our responsibility to honor and obey our parents and who is your ultimate desire to honor and obey and please. It's the Lord. So if there's a conflict again, a, a difficulty where your parents are leading you in a different direction, honorably, sweetly, sweetly as you can, follow Christ. May mean that you, that the, this happens a lot in the Muslim background uh, believers, that, that they are disavowed, they're rejected, they're cast out of the family, and sometimes they're even killed because of their faith in uh, Isa, they call him, Jesus, Yeshua. And yet you choose Christ. You, you follow after him. You want to honor your parents. You, want to, you pray for their salvation. You pray for them to humble themselves. But you've got to follow after Christ. Now, there are some bad reasons why children disobey. And one of those is when there's a conflict of desires. My parents want something. I want something else. I'm going to go with myself. I'm going to go with what I want. James 4 says, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is it not the, the source, the pleasures that wage war in your members? Not the members, like if you have a 
corporation or something, the members of your body, the desires you have in your body, you're lust and you don't have, so you murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, so you may spend it on your pleasures. And he goes on and says, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility to God? Don't be a friend of the world. Submit your desires to the Lord. Make sure that when you are living your life that if, if you want this thing or you want that thing you're pining after this is this what the lord wants for you right now even if your parents have no no regard for it or if they're saying this is what the lord says and you're going this other direction and there's a conflict a lot of children disobey their parents because i want what i want i want this and i'm going to get it whatever it takes and that means cutting off my parents and so be it because i want this so there's a conflict of desires there can be a stubborn rebellion uh, Deuteronomy 21 says, If a man, any man, is a stubborn and rebellious son who does, will not obey his father and mother, uh, and when they discipline, he will not even listen to them, then his father and mother shall seize him, bring him out to the elders of the city, and essentially execute him. So it goes on in Deuteronomy chapter 21. Obedience is a key aspect, and yet so many people just high-handedly rebel, two-handed even, rebelling against God, a stubborn rebellion. But you know, ultimately, disobedience to parents is a issue of sinful human nature it is something that is is a, a full expression even of a defiant rebellious attitude to the lord how can we say that well parents stand in the place of the lord in a young person's life and so to reject or to refuse to listen to parents is just another expression of the defiance the hatred that individuals have toward god himself Romans 1 uses this uh, phrase, and also it's in 2 Timothy 3, disobedient to parents. That word disobedient is, is not the same word here, actually. Of course, it's obey, but it doesn't have the idea of, of listening. It has the idea of being willing to be persuaded by or influenced by. Remember that thing about authority and influence? Don't want anything. Don't want God influencing me in any way through any of my parents. I'm doing my own thing. But notice the context of this. I'll just pick Romans 1. These people are filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They're gossip, slanders, haters of God, violent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, though they know the righteous requirement of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death. They not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. That's not the kind of people you want to be a part of. You want to run away from those kinds of people. If you're that kind of person, you repent, because the judgment of God is coming upon those who do such things. People disobey parents because of sinful nature. But here are some reasons why children should obey. And if you don't get all these down, it's fine. I don't know how many there are on this thing, but uh, you can listen to the tape. We don't have tapes. I'm old. We have audio. We have MP3s. You can listen to the MP3. Why do children? Why sh must children obey their parents? To fulfill God's command. For one, this is a command from God, so it's probably a good idea to listen to it. We obey our parents to please the Lord, to honor God. Rebellion dishonors God. We obey our parents to receive the promised blessing. We obey our parents to maintain order in the household. Because their parents listen to them. We want to pursue peace. We want to ease the tension in the household. If anybody's will is being accomplished here, it's the will of the parents. Let's let the parents be the parents. They're the boss in this, in this relationship. Let's follow what they say. We obey parents because it's right, according to God's pattern in the family. We obey parents to cooperate with them and who must. Their responsibility is to raise their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's work together with them. 
That is their requirement. If they're not following that requirement, that's their fault. But my responsibility is to please the Lord and to obey Him. We obey because we are demonstrating humility. I've got limitations. I rely on my parents' discretion in making decisions. Now, of course, the idea is that as you become adult, you'll bear that better. But in early years, you don't know that, that eating Cocoa Puffs for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for a week straight is not a good idea. Um, listen to your parents. You don't know everything. Uh, it's also helpful to trust your parents because they can make decisions better and more efficiently and effectively than you. It relieves even the pressure of decision-making from you. We obey to grow in wisdom and responsibility. Jesus grew in wisdom and a stature in favor with God and man. We obey to grow in sanctification. Parents aren't perfect. No parents are perfect. No children are perfect either. Isn't that interesting? But God helps us grow in righteousness. We obey to produce joy. Remember that Hebrews 13, 17? We want joy to be the fruit of our obedience. We obey to demonstrate trust in the Lord. What? Trusting in the Lord? Yes, because God gave you the parents you have. They're not perfect. Maybe they're not believers. How can you honor them? How can you esteem them? How can you not follow after their example because they're not living for the Lord? But how can you relate to them in a, in a loving, kind, sweet, redemptive way? God is the one. He makes no mistakes. He chose wisely. Really? He ch I don't... God chose wisely. God knows these things. He has given the husband, uh, if you're married, he's given you the husband or the wife. He's given the, the children. You know, it's interesting when you get married, God does not give you, okay, you may now order the children. You'd like you, you know, these qualifications, these characteristics, blonde hair, blue eyed, uh, sweet, athletic, smart. We don't get to choose those things. We get to choose to follow Christ, to trust him and receive the children he gives us as a blessing from him. Same way with children receiving. I didn't choose those parents. I thought I was going to get somebody rich, rich and famous. Now you got who you got because God is good. God is big. You're small. God is over. You're under. We obey to put others' interests above our own. Oh, but they told me to put others' interests above your own. It, we practice submission to authority, to people who aren't in authority. But in a sense, when we submit to another, we're, we're saying, I'm going to listen and do what's best in, for you. You may not understand that I'm acting in your best interest. You may think I'm being foolish about this, but I'm, I'm really trying to act in a way that accomplishes uh, goodness and, and righteousness in, in your life. Two more reasons, I'm done. Uh, why do we obey? To deflect responsibility of a choice. What are you saying there? Well, if, if, picture this as a, as a young person. Your friend has invited you to do something you know your parents don't want you to do. In fact, they've even said, we don't want you to do it. But instead of saying, no, I'm not going to do that, you can say, my parents that wouldn't. My parents have told me not to do that. You, so you can deflect the decision-making thing to your parents. So your parents get in trouble. Your parents are the old fuddy-duddies that don't know what, what fun times are. You don't want to offend your friend. You don't want to be the one who is... You know, the, the, you know, the goody two-shoes, the righteous guy or whatever. So you say, you know, this, my parents wouldn't want me to do that. And that's it. You can deflect that responsibility of a choice that you know the right to, you ought to do, but you can appeal to your, your parents in that regard. Last reason, and this is from Jesus himself, so it ought to be good. We obey our parents to demonstrate love. Demonstrate love. Yes, I'll just leave with this verse, John 14 and verse 31. Jesus says, I do these things so that the world may know that I love the Father. I do exactly as the Father has commanded me. I want the world to know I love my Father. I'm going to do what he says. You may not understand it. And remember, Jesus went to the cross, and at the, just before the cross, he was in the garden, and he says, if there's any other way, 
let's do that. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He loved the Father, and he did exactly as the Father commanded him. Family is a great sanctifying influence. The responsibility, of course, to parents is to train their children to fear and love the Lord. It doesn't happen in every family. It doesn't happen in every family perfectly. And yet that is the goal, to raise children who love the Lord God, who want to please him in every respect, to bear fruit and increase or, or grow, multiply in the full knowledge of him. It's a great responsibility. Nobody, nobody does it perfectly. And yet God is in these things. God is in the details. Let's work with him. Let's trust him and do the best we can with what we have individually and also in a family. Our Father in heaven, we're so grateful that you are for us. You're in these details, as I've said. You are the one who chooses so well for us. And we oftentimes think, well, I could have done better. I could have chosen better. I could have made better arrangements. But you are good, and your purposes are profound. And, and we want to honor you. We want to submit to you as we obey the parents that you have given to us of any age. I know there are heart aches and issues and difficult fathers and mothers and stepfathers and, and uh, divorce situation. It's just all kind of mess and mayhem. But that just underscores the rule. This is how family ought to be. This is how family ought to uh, love one another, submit to one another, respect and honor and, and live in peace with one another. We see many dysfunctions, many errors, many issues in our family. And yet, please help us to do what is right before you. Please help us to trust you. Please help us to realize you are good. You're over all these things. We're small. We want to do the, the, the few things, well, the many things that you've commanded us to do as a result of love, because we love you and you loved us. Please help. Please save and sanctify for your sake. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.